Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. You may hear information from professionally licensed therapists, life coaches, healers, doctors, etc. This information is not medical advice or therapy and is not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a doctor or personal therapist. I'm your host, Jalon Johnson. My guest today is Cecilia Baldwin. Cecilia holds a doctoral degree in marriage and family therapy, a license as a professional counselor, and has significant experience in advanced clinical training, training varying degrees of psychological trauma. Cecilia has a broad and unique base of clinical experience, education, and has a particular passion and expertise in working with children, adolescents, individuals, and families struggling with difficulties and relationships. So, Cecilia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me. I gave a brief uh, introduction, but so that the audience can get to know you a little bit better, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? I was thinking about this, and I, I really do think that this is probably one of the most difficult questions that you'll kind of ask me today, because I, I I think some of the energy that I carry around the work that I do is not necessarily an energy that I've had words for. It feels like a, a, a spiritual energy or an energy that is familiar in my body that I don't necessarily have the words to describe like how I got here or necessarily what I do. I think the way that I don't know where you got the little introduction from, but I do think that it is on point of what I do, but not necessarily who I am. I'm a really complex individual that has a lot of passion and a lot of spiritual energy. And I think with those things, I'm doing my best to try to help heal myself, my families, my community in a way that promotes long-term change and stability really. So, you know, who I am, I'm still discovering, right? I, I could say all the things that a lot of people say about who they are, which is compassionate. I'm a compassionate person. I try to be as honest as I can. I want to be intentional. I want to have integrity. I want to have all those things. But really, I think it's more than that. Um, I'm just not certain of what I would call those things, but I'm a healer in a different sense. If that makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, it can only make sense the way you explain it. And I think it was a great explanation. Um, I remember when I first saw your Instagram, Instagram account and I said to myself, man, I love her content. Um, and you were one of the first people that I actually reached out to when I thought about doing the podcast. And then when you told me you were from Philly, I was like, oh, my goodness, we're going to tear this joint up. <laughs> so I'm glad that um, you did agree to do this with me and that I have an opportunity to showcase your work because I love it. And I think that so many people will benefit from it. Um, so what I want to do to get started is just to ask a couple of questions so we can get into the interview. Yeah, let's let's do it. OK. Um, so one of my favorite posts is one where you say, if you grew up in an environment where your emotional needs went unmet, 
You do not learn to ask for what you need. You learn to lie about your feelings. Can you talk about what that looks like, please? This, Mm. you know, I, I got a lot of traction on this post because I think it's so familiar to a lot of people, right? Like we grow up in these environments where we can't necessarily ask for what we need. We learn to lie about the way that we feel, right? So when people are saying, how you doing, right? The lie that we tell ourselves and the lie that we tell other people is, oh, I'm good. But on the inside, we don't necessarily have the emotional space or the capacity to really talk about what's eating us up. Just because of the environment that we're surrounded by and the adults that are kind of in our lives. So I do feel like when we grow up in these environments, it becomes the norm to lie about how you feel. And as you grow, the more that you lie to yourself and the more that you lie to other people about how you feel, it does become a pattern in our lives. And it's a pattern that is really, really challenging to break. And I feel like a lot of adults, most of the adults that I know, myself included, are really trying to heal from our childhood experiences, early childhood experiences, where we're, we don't have the power, we don't have the resources, we don't have the communication styles, we don't have what's necessary to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with other people in ways that help us feel good. So we end up struggling. And the adults in our adult bodies, we're trying to really uncover that and undo that and find a way to move forward. And the only way that we can do that is if we start to learn how to be honest with ourselves first. And that's a really big deal. And it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of training and it takes a lot of community and communication and things like that to be able to start being honest with ourselves so that we can get our emotional needs met. It's the only way that we're going to be able to get our emotional needs met fully is if we start being honest about what we need. I like that a lot. And I remember how deeply I felt that post um, and the way you delivered it too, because I was just like, oof, man, that is a truth bomb if I've ever seen one there. And it's it made me think about even little things like, you know, someone may ask us, how's your day or how's it going? And you just, you just spit out, oh, I'm good, good, you know, and keep it moving. But even with that, we, we tend not to be honest because we're so used to just saying what we need to say or doing what we need to do in order, you know, to get by. Yeah, lying, right? Like, right. What we're doing, like I, I feel like what we're doing as human beings is doing our best to hide the fact that we have pain. All day we're walking around trying to hide the fact that we are in pain. We have real pain, and the way that we hide behind that is to tell people the things that they want to hear or the things that we want them to know to separate ourselves from this pain that we're carrying. All of us. And some of us are doing a better job than others at hiding the fact that we have real pain. And so, you know, getting honest with it, again, it's hard. It takes courage. But it does give us space to heal and grow and change and expand and all those things that we're looking for. I think also we get so accustomed to lying about how we feel that we may lose sight that we do deserve 
to feel better or feel a certain way. Um, I know that that was true for me because the first time my therapist asked me, well, what do you want? I couldn't answer. I was floored because I had never thought about it. It was always, well, what do I have to do? Or what is necessary of me to make this person happy or to do this or to get that? So um, I, I really, really felt that post. And I, I, I've been thinking about it ever since. And it's been months. Wow. Wow. That's cool. That's cool for me to to hear. One, because I think for me, the work that I have done, right? Like this is not something that has just come to me overnight. Like I feel like these things, the things that have happened in my life, the things that have, um, you know, just brought me to this point in my life have all been educators for me. And what I have done is, in my work, I've kept this stuff pretty personal, pretty tight. Like this, my clinical work is very, very important to me. And because it's very important to me, I keep it, I keep it really tight. So there's, this is a part of me when I put out these posts that unless you're sitting in my office or unless you're, you know, in my clinical supervisions, unless you're a part of my, my work environments, you don't really get to see the side of me. So when I get feedback like that, like, wow, this has been a couple months that I've been thinking about this, like in a way that has allowed me to kind of think about things for myself and process differently. It really means a lot to me because that is what is important to me in this work, right? Because it's one thing for me to sit with my clients, like people who are coming to me for specific things. But it's another thing to be able to share this information with people that I really care about, right? Like I made this page, I made my Instagram page for my family, really, and the people that I really care about so that I can share that same information with them in the ways that I'm sharing it with people who are coming to see me. So when I get that, that type of feedback, it's invaluable to me. So I thank you for that. And it encourages me to kind of continue to do some of these things. Good. I'll tell you every day then so you'll make more content. <laughs> um, so another one of your posts that I also love says, we make decisions based off of what is familiar to us. If I make decisions that continually hurt me, then hurting me must be familiar. If it is familiar, more than likely, it would have to have been shown to me for it to become familiar. So the question is, who showed me? I need you to unpack that for me, please, because that is deep. Yeah, this is a this is a heavy one, because I, I truly do believe that one of the things that we think about ourselves were really taught to us by other people. Right. And other people teaching us things are generally projections about how they feel about themselves and what their experience has been. And so if I'm a young person and I had this idea that I'm unworthy, right, and I'm not, I'm not worthy of, of good things happening to me or I don't deserve, you know, peace and love and joy in my life, right, I'm, I have been taught that by someone who probably also doesn't feel worthy. And what it then what happens is I then carry that unworthiness in my life. And now me carrying this unworthiness in my life has become 
very familiar. It's familiar in my nervous system. It creates this emotional dysregulation. And so what happens with emotional dysregulation is I'm then gravitating towards those things just because they're familiar, even if it's hurtful, even if it hurts me, right? Like I know how to navigate things that feel familiar, even if they're hurtful. So I find myself in these positions, right? We find ourselves in these positions where we're now in relationships or interactions where we're that unworthiness is to the surface, but it feels so familiar to us. And the hard part is trying to separate the hurt and the pain from what is familiar so that we can actually have the relationships and the interactions that we deserve to be having instead of gravitating towards what's familiar. Does that make sense? Wow. Um, I think to be able to put a name to certain things and certain feelings, like you are comfortable doing something, even though it's destructive, but that is where you're comfortable, right? I don't think a lot of people would have ever been able to say that is what is happening. So that is why I love that post so much because it could have started very early on. You could have had parents who you know, were emotionally abusive or emotionally neglectful, even though they weren't trying to be, they could have just been working three jobs or just busy, or they could have had a hard childhood, you know? So this stuff carries on and you may not be aware that it's happening. And when you get that light bulb moment and you're able to say, wow, that's what it is. Now you have that awareness, right? So now that awareness can translate into, I want to do better or I want to fix this. So that is why I love your post and the way you present. So thank you. Yeah, you're 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 welcome for that. I I and you know, I'm not I try to be clear about what I'm saying because I think in what I've learned in the field is I I spent a lot of time trying to understand these really complex terms and ideologies in a way that made sense for me so that I can then communicate them to other people in ways that were normalized and understandable. And so it really is important to me to be clear about some of these things. And so again, like I appreciate you, you know, asking me or giving me the opportunity to kind of expand upon these things because if the information doesn't make sense, it's not useful. It's just not it, it's it's just not useful, right? Like if I'm trying to give out information and, and it's not clear Again, it doesn't make sense. People can't use it in a way that it's intended to be used. And what I found in the field is there's a lot of things that are important that just don't make sense. That's true. So true. Because like you said, if the information can't be comprehended, it's not useful. So um, hearing it and it may be, you know, pricking your consciousness or your awareness and then, you know, having the opportunity to, to have it broken down like this is is so useful. So, again, thank you. Yeah. And let me just say this, too. Right. I know we're having a live conversation and a lot of times in live conversations, there can be some confusion around language or intention or things like that. I'm going to just put this out there just for you to do whatever you want with. I'm always going to be open 
we're having another conversation, right? Like, and that's just across the board, right? If we're having something and there's to go back and we watch and we're, we're saying like, mm. like, or if your, your followers or your listeners have some questions about that, I'm always going to be open to having another conversation because I want things to be clear. Great. I'm open to it as well. So, um, if I do get feedback on anything, I mean, I think you did a, an amazing job at breaking it down, but if there is any more clarity that needs to be had, I'll be happy to let you know so we can have another conversation. Um, okay, so another question. What can happen if someone grew up not being able to depend on their caregivers? Uh, a lot can happen, right? Like, if you grew up not being able to depend on your caregivers to take care of you, you grow up not depending on anyone to take care of you. And so this will manifest itself in adult relationships where you don't depend on somebody to take care of you, right? And there's a whole bunch of things that come along with that. Relationships are difficult. Our jobs are difficult. Life is difficult because, you know, our human experience really requires us to feel cared for and to feel cared for, we have to be able to depend on people. And so if, if we grew up not being able to depend on your parents and caregivers, the people that you should have been able to depend on, it really, really creates a mistrust in our relationships with other people. And things become really difficult when we have a hard time trusting that people can and will and you have good intentions and want to take care of us. It could feel unfamiliar, just like we mentioned about, you know, what is comfortable for you. It, it, it's so wild how these things can can happen. And, and, you know, your life could be such a unfolding of all of the things that you went through and you're unaware of them because they're normal. Yeah. And then. A lot of times because these are normal, emotional, reactive responses to our human experience, what then happens is we start to pathologize those normal, typical responses. If you grew up not being able to depend on your parents to take care of you, and then you have a hard time depending on people to take care of you, people often think that there's something wrong with them. Not that this is a normal response to this experience. And the moment that you start to think that something is wrong with you, not that this is a normal human experience, we then start to pathologize these things. We then start to internalize, oh, that there's something wrong with me. The moment that we start to internalize this idea that there's something wrong with me, this is dysregulating to the nervous system. Everything then becomes much harder when you start to see yourself in ways that are maladaptive to your actual experience. Life is hard functioning in this capacity. So true. So very true. Um, building off of that, there was another post that you talked about how the, the body and the brain remember things and that there was a, a difference between the two. So can you explain that? Oh, yeah. This one is... is pretty complex. Um, and so I'll do my best to kind of uh, create a framework for this that I, I hope is is clear and understandable. And if not, feel free to ask me any questions to be able to okay. create a little bit. 
similarity. So the brain and the body, they're designed to remember everything. Every experience that we have, your brain and your body is designed to remember. Like this is the way that we remain safe. This is the way that we stay alive is when your brain and your body are running optimally so that you can remember the things that are occurring in your life. I like to separate these two things by kind of explaining that your body, your body is really like a video recorder, right? Like your body will capture everything, all the sensations, all the physiological responses to every interaction that you ever will have. Your body becomes a storage for them, kind of like a video. And what your brain does is your brain will then take a snapshot of all the important pieces of that video recording, right? So your your brain then stores, stores the pictorial images of the body's kind of recording. When we get into like trauma therapy and, and therapy in general, like when we're talking about like um, anxiety disorders or things like or PTSD and trauma disorders and things like that, right? We're focusing, a lot of the focus of the treatment is on the, the memories that are in the brain instead of the memories that are housed in the body. When you focus on the memories that are in the brain, the screenshots of the recording, you're just focusing on the screenshots that are in the recording. You're not necessarily focusing on the recording. Does this make sense? Yes. So when you yes. focus only on the screenshot, the recording is still present. And so we're trying to heal trauma. A lot of folks are trying to heal trauma by focusing on the screenshots and forgetting about the recordings that are in your body. These are physiological sensations in your body that are stored here to keep you safe. And so real healing comes when we can also address the body's memory, sensations, emotions, all of the things that are housed in our body will then also help us make sense and process our traumatic experiences in a different way. So that's the way that I like to explain the brain and the body's capacity for memory. Your body's capacity for memory is infinite. Your body doesn't run out of storage. Like it just doesn't run out. Every experience that you have is becoming stored in your body a lot of times without you even being aware. But I'll tell you this, the difference that sets, the only difference between animals and human beings is our evolved brain. That's the only difference. And what I mean is, have you ever watched like, like an animal planet, like some type of animal show where, you know, it'll be a gazelle drinking out of a watering hole and like the camera will pan to like a lion or something lurking in the bushes on this gazelle. You ever seen something like this? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What happens is the gazelle has to see the lion in order for its like natural response to kind of activate and the gazelle is going to take off. But it has to kind of see, see the lion. 
human beings only have to see the lion one time to be able to generate the sensations and the memories associated with seeing the lion. So we can be at the grocery store. We don't have to be in the wilderness anymore to be able to generate, based off of our memory, to generate the physiological and the snapshots of these memories of seeing something dangerous in our lives. We can be in the library and be able to generate these sensations based off of our brain and our body's memory. Does this make sense? Wow. This is why this, I feel like, is really important to understand about how our brains and our bodies are kind of remembering things and how we then start to um, create some emotional regulation in our body related to those memories so that we can then start to move forward and heal. Wow. Um, I've heard many examples of the, you know, the gazelle and the lion, but I, I was unaware of the one instance and that's all it takes. Um, because it makes sense. It makes sense because if you, if you see that lion that one time and that is stored in your body and you have a snapshot in your brain, you're always going to be recounting that memory whenever, um, you know, you, you have that sensation in your body and, it, and it's going to give you the exact same response. Wow. You don't have to be in the circumstance to have the same bodily physiological response to the, the threat. And the reality is sometimes you don't even actually have to see the lion, right? Like we can, our brain's capacity for imagination is unparalleled. Like, unparalleled we don't necessarily have to see the line somebody just needs to describe it to us in full detail sometimes for our imagination to then create a story or narrative around what this thing is and what it could do to us and that's enough wow wow that's so deep so so deep okay so then let me ask you this right so um as a child and as a as an adult um, our emotional capacities differ. Can you explain how so? Um, I I personally don't think that the emotional capacity from a child and an adult is different. I think we have the same, I think that children have the same emotional capacity as adults, but their experience with emotion is different. Right? So they can feel hurt love, pain, joy. You were a kid once. I was a kid once. I felt these things just as any other human being. The difference really is in their their experience and the range of emotions that come along with time and exposure and their internal and external, internal and external resources that they have for processing information, emotional information. So Subconsciously, adults are reminded of the pain that they had in their childhood often, while also simultaneously forgetting what it's like to be children, right? Like, so our capacity is really the same. Children can experience heartbreak. Children can experience grief and worry and shame 
and isolation. Like all of those same experiences that we have in our adult lives, children have those same experiences, but they don't have the resources that adults might have to be able to process those emotional experiences in the same way. I gotcha. Okay. And that makes sense as well. So, um, for someone who has experienced trauma, maybe as a child, right? How important is safety in the body for those people who had to deal with trauma? Let me ask you this. How important is it for you to feel safe in your home? 100% important. That's Same thing. That's the okay. answer. Right? Okay. Like, All right. So go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. So in order for us to feel, when you feel safe in your home, right? Like you can move around your home freely, right? Like you can, you rest well. You can eat. You can watch TV. You can walk around naked if you want to, right? Like there is a certain freedom that you have when you feel safe in your home. When you do not feel safe in your home, you do not have the luxuries of doing any of those things, right? Your body is your home. In order for you to feel safe in your body, right? Like it requires emotional regulation, right? So for somebody who has experienced trauma, trauma makes everything in life hard because it creates the emotional dysregulation in the nervous system. When you're emotionally dysregulated in your nervous system, you become hypervigilant to everything around you. It's very, very difficult to find peace when your nervous system is dysregulated. So for somebody who has experienced trauma, Safety in your body is essential to your health and your well-being. Okay, so how would someone know that they aren't unsafe if they've had trauma? I guess having a dysregulated nervous system, if it's normal to you, you wouldn't know that it's dysregulated or unregulated because it's all you've known. So what are some signs or outward um, examples that someone may not feel safe? Behavior. Behavior is the biggest predictor of internal distress. So, you know, uh, the way that people behave is going to tell you people will behave in very predictable ways when they are in distress. Their, our goal is to avoid pain and seek pleasure when those when we when those things are not accessible to us right we then be, start to behave in very protective ways and so relationships will be hard jobs will be hard communication will be hard our existence will be hard and so you will then begin to see these outwardly expressed through our behavior and so a lot of people are not aware of this but their relationships are hard but they're having difficulties in the interactions that they're having with other folks they're having difficulties and feeling 
good about who they are and how they're navigating life. It just feels more difficult, right? So a lot of people have trauma and they don't really understand the dynamics or the components of trauma. And so they don't think that they have it, but the behavior tells a very, very different story. And that, that was the answer I was looking for, the behavior, because that will show you what not feeling safe looks like if you don't know that you aren't unsafe or that your nervous system may be on 10 and you're not aware that, you know, there is a thing called a dysregulated or unregulated nervous system. You may think that you just, you know, you have a stressed life or what have you. So that answers the question spot on. So thank you. Another question, what is um, self-sabotage and what can it look like? Ooh. <laughs> Everyone has, is going to have a different pers- perspective on this or perception of this. And mine is that self-sabotage is a behavior. And all behavior, all behavior is, is the way in which a person acts in response to a particular situation or a stimulus. So self-sabotage for me is a behavior tool response stimulus. And it's an adaptive coping strategy that people implore to protect themselves from hurt and pain. So the Mm. problem with self-sabotage is I believe that it could be subconscious, unconscious, or conscious. But it is a coping strategy. And our coping strategies, the way that we cope with the things that are in our life, are really a manifestation of a dysregulated nervous system. It's a coping strategy so that we can then feel some control or some peace in our nervous system. It's to prevent us from feeling overwhelmed and out of control. And what we do instead of you know, putting that on other people as we internalize these things. And then we become the resource for hurt and pain, but we are in control of that. So for me, it's, it's a behavioral response. It's a coping strategy. Thanks. And it could be a coping strategy for someone who may not feel safe trying to get to safety. Yeah. I mean, that's what coping strategies are, right? Like they're, you know, a lot of the coping strategies that we have might be seen as maladaptive, but they are strategies so that we can feel safe in our bodies. Some of us have more strategies than others, but they are strategies so that we can feel safe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so because of some of the things that we've already discussed, And because someone may be reactive or they're using coping strategies in their life to deal with things, they may not have the awarenesses, right? Someone brings it to their attention um, and now they get defensive. Um, So can accountability feel like an attack to certain people? Sure. Anything can feel like an attack to a dysregulated nervous system. It really doesn't matter what it is. Anything and everything can feel like a threat when you live in a heightened state of existence. Mm. Okay. Because I, I saw that um, it said accountability can feel like an attack to people who aren't ready to um, take on the responsibility of their actions. And I, I thought that that tied in so well with 
with what we were talking about because of this heightened sense of, you know, um, dysregulation and so on and so forth. Someone could say something to you that really has no threat or danger to it. And because everything, you know, the alarms are blaring, the, the anxiety, your body is dysregulated. It could feel like an attack. And that could be the cause of arguments. It could be, you know, so many things. You name it. Right. You name it. Right. Anything. Anything. When you live in a heightened state of existence, anything. Anything could feel like a threat. Right. Right. Okay, another question. Um, that's a good one. How can insecurity manifest in a relationship? This is a good one because it is so complex, right? Like there's a lot of complexities to this. But I mean, insecurity can really manifest itself in any way that requires self-expression. And to me, for me, I don't think you can have a full conversation about insecurity unless we're also talking about vulnerability too. So uh, insecurity, in my opinion, is just a manifestation of fear and vulnerability. Hmm. It's really our evolved brain's way of processing vulnerability. Hmm. Wow. It's about like um, insecurity is about your belief about oneself in relationship to a threat is protective. The more insecure that you feel about your internal and external resources that you have to protect yourself, the more dysregulated your behavior is. Does that make sense? Yes. So much. So much sense. Wow. Yeah. I'm so glad I'm asking these questions. Yeah, yeah. Ensure it's it's self-protective. It's the way that we say mm. safe. Mm. Safety or, ties back to so many things. Yeah. Our expression of this will really depend on what you believe about yourself to be true and the resources that you have to protect yourself. And at a young age, if you were never given permission to feel a certain way about yourself, you may be holding on to that. And that may cause you to be defensive about so many things that don't even really have any relevance in a relationship at work, you know, anywhere. And because of that, that dysregulation, somebody may say something like, you know, something simple and it may cause you to, to have the alarm bells go off. Totally. Yeah. I think a question that I like to ask people is like, when it comes to like insecurity and behavior and how it shows up is like, how do you express yourself when you're fearful? That's a good Because there isn't a, a generic way that insecurity will present itself. People will go to extremes in relationships. But what this will actually look like will really depend on their internal and their, their external resources that they have to protect themselves. Wow. Thanks again for that. that was, you're killing it. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any questions because <laughs> your explanations are so spot on. So. Okay, so another one I got for you is um, another one of your posts, right? 
It says, if you lack the inability to tolerate the sensations of stress, you threaten the emotional and physical safety of those around you. Can you explain that? Yeah. I mean, a person who cannot control their emotions is not a safe place in any circumstance, right? Like in any relationship, anywhere, at any time. A person who has lacks emotional control is not a safe place. And if you you are someone who does lack the emotional control or emotional regulation or self-regulation, whatever you want to call it, you are you do become an emotional threat to the, the folks around you because they cannot feel safe in your presence. It's it's funny because you know we'll we'll hear people say something like oh man she got bad energy or I don't like to be around him because his energy is this or his energy is that but it's true and I don't think we really understood what we were saying for so long but it is one hundred percent true. Oh yeah, listen, you walk into a room today and we have all done this. You walk into a room and there's people in there. Nobody has to say a word. If it's a tense space. You can feel the tension in the room. Uh, you, you, we've had this. Everyone has had mm-hmm. it, where you're like, "Oh shit, what's what's going on here?" We don't have. No one has to say anything about anyone. Nothing for us to be able to feel this energy. We can feel the vibrations. Our bodies are designed to feel vibrations. That is what keeps us alive the problem is our evolved brain right that has we've used our brain and conditioned our brain so much to minimize the sensations that we're having in our bodies we'll talk ourselves Mm. right out of that Mm. we'll talk ourselves right out of having some real understanding of what is happening in our bodies because our brains have been conditioned socially to not pay attention to those things it becomes really dangerous for us because then we start to rely on our prefrontal cortex, our cognitive, our thinking brain to take care of us instead of actually using all the resources that we came here with. Wow. That is deep. That, that'll that have me thinking for days on that one. Man, that's, it's wild how we can dumb down our natural senses of awareness just because of what is you know perceived to be normal today oh don't you shouldn't be like that or you know don't pay attention to that and we're only hurting ourselves it's a dangerous place to be like i I say this all the time it's like the brain the evolved brain is a beautiful thing but it is so limiting to us when we do not know how to use all the facets of our body. We become so enamored with our thinking brain and thinking logically through our experiences and coming up with solutions and finding new ways and yada, 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 that we forget about the mechanics, (laughs) the actual mechanics of our experience. It becomes really, really hard for us to navigate life in the way that it's one intended to. And two, in a way that makes us feel good, we cannot separate 
our brains from our bodies, and we try very hard to do it. We do. We do. Um, wow. That was that was great. I, I think that the way you just explained that, in addition to everything else, like I think so many people are going to learn from this uh, episode and, and your knowledge base and your delivery, because your delivery is, is so simple. You're taking complex things and making, you know, just putting them on a platter for people to just grab as you walk by, you know? You know, so. and sometimes I struggle with this too, because sometimes it does feel so like, like simple, simplified that it almost feels like, I can't believe she said that. You know what I'm saying? Like it just feels, sometimes I struggle with that too. And I, I really do hope that it comes across as helpful and not demeaning or blaming or shaming, because I do think that the world or the field is forgetting that we're having a human experience, right? That everyone that's relatable, that's it's a relatable experience for us to be anxious and overwhelmed and question ourselves and imposter like these things are relatable to everybody and we haven't really found a way to discuss these things and so when we're struggling with these things it feels like just us and the reality is it's not at all just us a lot of the times, a lot of the things that we're struggling with, coping with, or trying to navigate are just natural, natural human experiences that everyone has. And we can't find a way to have some commonality around these experiences. It's so isolating. I think because society tells us, do it like this, make it look like that we we tend to lose our humanity right we we tend to be in a situation where having a normal experience is frowned upon our normal human experience is frowned upon because it you didn't make it look like this or this isn't what i saw in a movie or it wasn't like that on tv right so we we tend to turn away from what is normal and just forget that it's just a normal human experience like you said yeah yeah, I, and I, I hope for our sake and the sake of my children and my future that this shifts in some place where, you know, it is normal to have these reactions. It's normal to feel, you know, these sensations in our bodies. It, it's, it's just, it's, it's not pathology. These are normal. If you've had trauma in your life, it is normal for your body to be in a state of overwhelm, right? Like it's, if that anybody would be in that same predicament. And I really do think that until we really understand that a lot of these things are not pathology, a lot of these things are, does not mean that there's something wrong with you. It actually means the opposite of that, that your brain and your body are operating in alignment with how they're supposed to be operating. The problem is, it's finding the balance now to getting it back to a place of equilibrium where we then can have different experiences outside of the emotional dysregulation 
that creates so much difficulty in everyday life. We need to get back to the the balance instead of thinking like there's something wrong with me because I'm responding in this way. There's nothing wrong. I mean, if it gets some, it almost sounds like we get to a point where we think there's something wrong with us for simply being human. And imagine this. this now this is a lifelong battle. When you think that there's something wrong with who you are and how you're responding to a normal human experience, like this creates joy and peace. It's going to be very hard for you to find in those conditions. You said it. You said it. Okay, so the big one. You could use your platform to encourage someone who may be on the fence or struggling um, with talking to someone about their big feelings or big emotions um, and maybe thinking about therapy or, or just talking to someone, a coach or anybody. Just unloading. What would you say? Hmm. That healing is possible when you learn to regulate your nervous system. Your nervous system is what's responsible for how you perceive and interact with the world. The more dysregulated your nervous system is, the more difficulty you will have accessing the resources that provide you with the peace that you deserve. And regulating your nervous system will require you to get in and stay in a relaxed muscle body. And if you can learn how to do this, your brain and your body will have more opportunity to operate at maximum capacity. Maximum capacity. Maximum potential the quality of your life will expand exponentially. It will also lengthen the time because when your nervous system is dysregulated, your internal organs have to work much harder, much harder than they would in a regulated nervous system. So when you can find a balance here, your internal organs don't have to work as hard. If your internal organs don't have to work as hard, your longevity, your longevity expands. So this work is not just about getting in a relaxed muscle body and regulating your nervous system because you want to feel better and you want to have more joy. That's an important piece. But lengthening the time that you have in this physical body, in this life, in this space, If you want more of that, regulating your nervous system is essential. I can't stress it enough. So if you are in therapy and you want to see real change, right, it's not enough to be talking about the things that are ailing you. If you want to see real change, you're going to learn, you must learn how to relax your body. You must learn how to regulate your nervous system. Because remember what I said about your body being a video recording of your life and your brains being the screenshots. Focusing on the screenshots 
doesn't change the recording. Focusing on the screenshots will not change the recording. We need to focus on reducing the emotional charge related to the recording. And that's the focus. And that's available. It's available to anyone who wants healing. Well said. What a conclusion. Um, Like I said to you before, I was so excited to do this with you because of how you present this information and how you make it so simple, you know, and I don't, I really don't want you to have to worry about if you're making things clear, because I think that you're doing such a a good job of it that you may make therapy appealing to people because of, you know, being able to say, Oh, well, that's what that is. And that's, that's what I could get. I want to do that. And that, that's what I felt when I went to your page. So, that is why I was, you know, I was, you remember I was checking with you every day. When can you do it? When can you do it? Because yeah. I, I wanted to be able to present your body of work um, to to people I know, to my friends, my family, everybody. So. That, it, it really does mean so much to me to get that feedback. Because like, it's honestly, it's the only reason why. I got my doctor, right? Because I, I think I didn't, you know, for most of my career, I didn't have my doctor. And what I found was a lot of folks wasn't, a lot of my people, we weren't listening to the spiritual leaders. We weren't listening to this common folks. What we were listening to was the doctors, right? So I, I, wanted to get my doctorate so that I could speak to people in a way that just felt different that I needed to be spoken to. I needed somebody to say like when you're talking about most emotional dysregulation, that that means that your body is out of balance. Your physiological body is in distress. You are moving towards this heightened state of awareness that is then impacting your experience of the entire world. I needed somebody to say that to me instead of saying your amygdala is firing. What the hell does that mean? You know what I'm saying? Like I need somebody else to say something that actually was tangible and it made sense to me. And so I wanted to be that person to take this information and be able to like spit it back out in very digestible ways for my folks. So I, I, I appreciate you saying that to me. And I really do think that it motivates me to keep, you know, sharing these things that are really personal for me and the things that I haven't kind of shared with the world. Because like I was saying, like being a therapist, this is my first opportunity to kind of share what happens in the work. Because if you haven't sat with me, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on in the office. And so I wanted to make it relatable and understandable for people to say like, oh, is that what happens in therapy? It's not, it's not this person who's in this cardigan being and talking about things that I don't really understand. No, it's you. There are some people out there who can take this information, have done the legwork, have the information, 
have the language that can help you really understand and do something different about the distress that you're carrying. Well, I, um, like I said, if that was your goal, you did it. I feel like this was a casual conversation, but we talked about things that can change people's lives. And even if it's only one person, we still did our job. That's enough. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. me. (laughs) So I'm super grateful that I had this opportunity. Um, If people want to find you online and on social media, where can they find you? They can find me at Dr. Celia, or is it at Dr. Celia? And uh, yeah, look me up. I'm, I'm going to be putting out some more content and some more information that I hope is helpful. And uh, I hope that, you know, it impacts you. And I hope that you share that with your friends and family and the people that you really care about, because it is something that's really important. And, you know, I hope that it makes an impact. So look me up at Dr. Celia. Well, Dr. Baldwin, thank you so much for this and uh, for for showcasing your talent, what you do, and uh, the way you do it and for being who you are. Thank you so much. Thank you, too. Right? Like, this is a big deal for you to do this in this way. I know this is, for me at least, I'm going to project a little bit, like, it's a very vulnerable thing that you're doing here, right? To be able to put yourself out there, ask the questions that might be hard or difficult, and then challenge these things that these ideas that we have about our existence is big. It's not everybody's not doing it. And so for you to be out here on the front line trying to build change and trying to seek healing, that's a big, big deal. And uh, you know, it is inspiring for me too. So thank you. Wow, I appreciate that so much. I I felt that deep inside and it was it was received. So I I appreciate you giving me um some credit for what I'm trying to do as well. But you know, when I when I thought about what therapy was and what it wasn't, I wanted to be able to share and it was a a point where I got where I felt like I couldn't have the conversation anymore, right? So I said, "Well, why don't I have the conversation with therapists and then allow people to listen to that?" You know, and it's not about me. It's about what I'm able to give because of what you guys do. And I guess the vulnerability that it took for me to do this is what is seen and why people are willing to do it with me. So either way, I feel like I'm I'm still trying to do something to better myself and better others, because the things that I learn, I, I want to share. And that's what it's all about. You're, come on. Come on now. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. And, you know, if if doing things like this i think like being a therapist being a healer being a coach sometimes that's a very very thankless position to be in and if no one tells you this i thank you on behalf of the people that you are going to impact by doing exactly what you're doing and it's it's commendable and it's incredible and i implore you to keep going wow i appreciate that so much Thank you for your time and for doing this with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Go birds. Okay. Go birds. (laughs)